Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Toe Meets Lead podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me today are two fans of college football who are ready to see it start up, Andrew and Artem. Andrew, let's start off with you. How are you doing this today? I'm all right. Um, you know, get myself in the right mindset to see a team murdered on national television tomorrow night. Yeah, hopefully it's no one that you're directly invested in. I, you know, unfortunately, I got a bad feeling. But hey, you know, I, I'm choosing to ignore that game and move straight on to the Holy War. But everybody's got their own tastes. Uh, if you're if you're a masochist, Georgia Tech is the team for you. Artem, how are you doing on this fine day? Pretty excited, man. Going to drive down to the game with the fam, enjoy the slaughter, and then drive home. How far away are you from that game? It shouldn't take you too long. It's about a three-hour drive. Are you... Uh, Bringing the, are you bringing the kid with you? Oh yeah, she went with us last year and uh, actually stayed up the entire time, even though the game started like six thirty. So this will be her second game. All right, good for her. Starting off as a real fan. Are there any, are there any big traditions we should be aware of for the season kickoff with you with uh, Texas A and M? Nothing different than happens during the regular season. Uh, this is her. Her second year of the season opener, so they usually, at least in the last five or six years, we've scheduled some cupcake team to, to start out against. So she likes the kissing because you got to kiss your date every time we score. Every time the Aggies score, the Aggies score, if you know what I mean. Oh, well, that's great. I wish they had that tradition in Georgia Tech, but I think since most of our guys are male, probably would have been a little awkward. I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, engineers are awkward enough as it is. This is true. And speaking of awkward, uh, let's get into this awkward transition and talk about the season kickoff. So technically, football starts Thursday, and as Andrew pointed out, it's going to start off with possibly a manslaughter charge against Clemson when they destroy Georgia Tech on the field. At least that's the expectation anyway. I'm still going to get geared up and hope for the best. Maybe we keep it close. I think my comment on a preview on Reddit was I said, I just want everyone to stay healthy, and I hope that the players value the friendships that they will make along the way. <laughs> I just I just think this is a good thing that we're not going to have a headstone erected for us, even though we probably should, because we're at least not in the top 25. So there's that. But, hey. um, but yeah, with that in mind, let's get into what are y'all's – Big ex- what are y'all's favorite things looking forward to this upcoming season? Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you. What are you most looking forward to other than just having football to actually watch and be excited for? I think that's really it. Just, I mean, I love just sitting down and watching football. I mean, I did it last weekend. I watched a bunch of high school games. You know, I'll, I'll watch a bunch of FCS games just to get my fix. I tried watching the Canadian League, but it was kind of weird. So it didn't really work as well, but I'm just I'm excited. You know, yeah, Georgia Tech's not going to be great. I, I'm I'm the kind of person where I can sit down and watch a game between two teams I have no connection to and just love every minute of it. So, I mean, I think that's the bottom line for everybody here at part of the podcast because, I mean, that's really all we care about is that football's back. And it's kind of our joy and passion just to see everybody get out on the field and have a good time, even if you're not really competing for something bigger in the grand scheme of things. 
That said, uh, I think Artem's a little different because Texas A&M actually has a chance to be good this year. So, Artem, do you possibly have anything else to add as far as what you're looking forward to most this season? Heck yeah, man. What do you mean actually going to be good this year? We were good last year. Jesus. <laughs> well, you know. Um, as Way I, to rub I, it in I, our faces, Artem. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching y'all too, except, you know, in that uh, – USF game that was disappointing, but uh, you, you guys were probably one one play away from a couple of really good games. One fumble away, one would say. I think I'm just looking forward to kind of like Andrew said, football being back, people hitting some people. Um, hopefully not to the point of injury, but violently enough to provide pleasure for the rest of us watching. Some uh, some sweet trick plays, hopefully, just like in the Florida Miami game. You know, running uh, faking a punt on the first drive. Uh, happy to see football back. Well, that's, that's good. That's where we're all at. We all want to see football back. So let's get down to it. I think, uh, as Andrew pointed out, we like watching all the conferences. I think there's a lot of sparks flying back and forth between the ACC and the SEC this year with the start of the ACC network. But we like watching all the football. Uh, Pac-12 after dark is fun. Maction is magic. I mean, the Big Ten, when you get down into the nitty-gritty games that aren't don't involve Rutgers, those are also really fun. Uh, I guess the big one question for me this year is the past few years have been a pretty samey as far as teams coming out of each conference and who's at the top dogs in each conference. What conference can we expect to see the most uh, diversity from as or the most – uh, surprises out of this year, Artem. Are you thinking maybe Pac-12 will get a team that rises up other than Washington or maybe somebody other than Oklahoma challenges in the Big 12? What are you thinking as far as surprises go? Well, you mentioned Pac-12, so we can start with that. You know, Pac-12, I feel like, has been a conference we've hoping we've been hoping has would make it consistently to the playoff, and they haven't done so over the the last two years almost or if they did when washington did they get stopped so out of the back 12 we're really looking for consistency if you guys have some teams that probably should make it to the playoffs let's hope they live up to those expectations and actually make it to the playoffs i think the the surprise coming out this year is the big 12 of all conferences you know usually we talk shit about the big 12 i think this year they're gonna have some contenders they're gonna have uh Baylor and hopefully TCU stepping up a little bit. Uh, and then we have some new coaches at, at Tech. So some of those guys stepping up. Um, we talked about Iowa State being the dark horse for a while. Let's see what they can do this year. A lot of people are saying they can get 10, 11 wins. And usually when you get 10, 11 wins, you get a couple of upsets. So, you know, you have the, the two old power towers of OU and Texas. And how will some of these new um, – new uh new life programs in the big 12 as far as baylor with the new coaching staff in the third year iowa state rising tech with a new staff how will those teams bring surprises i think that that there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of hope in the big 12 for some of those other teams that are not part of the ou texas fan base and they're happy to see their their schools do a little bit better and the same time you got less miles at kansas right if you're a kansas fan you've got two at most two wins last couple years and now you've got this coach who won a national championship 
he's kind of old, he was away from the game, what can he do with our program? Because if you're a Kansas fan and they all of a sudden double that win percentage, they get four wins out of somewhere, you are hyped up. As far as uh, SEC, ACC, I think that, that rivalry is kind of there. We've already kind of start, started the, the the shit talk, right, with uh, the Miami-Florida game, and that was a lot closer than I think a lot of people predicted. I, I think yeah, most people thought either Miami was going to come out there and kind of stomp them with their defense or uh, – Felipe Franks was going to come out and put up some points. Neither really happened. It was kind of the worst case for both teams. Yet Florida kind of edged them out. So it'll be it'll be good to watch to see some of those other ACC, SEC matchups throughout the rest of the year and see how those powerhouses match up. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that rivalry kind of intensifies now that both have a big media market. Um, and we didn't really talk about the Big Ten, who's the other, who's the third, probably the biggest medium market. Uh, Andrew, do you want to go into the Miami-Florida game and also which conference you would expect to have the most surprises here? Yeah, I, I think the Pac-12 is probably the one that, to me, has the biggest opportunity for surprises. You know, you've got Clay Helton coaching for his job. At USC, you've got a Utah team that we expect to be pretty good. You've got an Oregon team that we expect to be pretty good, but it's going to face a tough schedule. You know, you've got a, a California defense that really kind of surprised you. You've got a Stanford that we think is going to be able to get back to being the Stanford that we're used to seeing. You know, the Arizona's – well, Arizona State at least, we don't know anything about. We learned a little bit about Arizona. And to me, that's really the conference that sets up the best for surprises. Uh, I just I don't see I don't see anything in the Big Twelve that makes me think Oklahoma is not going to walk away with it. I don't see anything in the ACC that makes me think Clemson's going to walk away with it. I don't see anything in the SEC that makes me think anyone that's not Georgia or Alabama is going to walk away from it. And I don't see anything in the Big Ten that says Ohio State's not going to walk away from it. So to me. The biggest surprises I think are going to either come out west or in some of your your G five conferences. And then, as far as the uh, game with UF and Miami win last week, how how did you feel about that one? I was sloppy. I mean, you could tell that it was a game early in the season. It was two teams, their first time that they were really getting to hit somebody else. the The Florida defense played really well against a Miami offensive line that was just awful. I mean, they struggled in pass protection. They gave up 10 sacks. They really weren't able to run the ball between the tackles outside of a couple of DJ Dallas plays in the Wildcat. The, the Miami defense, I think, acquitted itself pretty well. I think that Miami's going to lean on that defense early in the season until they kind of get their offensive line sorted out. I liked what I saw out of the, uh, the young quarterback. I think he threw the ball pretty well. I think that he, you know, he held on a little long, but he didn't make a lot of mistakes. He completed over 60% of his passes. And I think that if Miami can get that offensive line squared away, I think Miami has a good chance to win the Coastal. You know, they've got talent all over the field like they always do. It's just whether or not they can learn from their mistakes and turn that into a talent to do anything. I thought Jaron Williams did pretty good, and I kept kind of talking him up during the while the game was going on. And I'm like, man, this – Refresher, freshman really isn't doing anything bad with the ball. That's a lot of maturity coming from a freshman like that. And then towards the end of the game, he started fumbling and kind of fumbled the game away. So I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't uh, 
lead to some PTSD later in the season or it is just, you know, a sign of things to come. How did you like uh, how they used Tate Martell in that game to kind of keep him on campus? I thought it was pretty interesting. I really expected him out of that Wildcat to give him the ball once or twice. That was something that I thought that surprised me. But it'll be interesting to see what they try to do if they do look into trying to, you know, throw the double pass, hand off and, you know, throw the reverse pass. Because it does kind of give you something that as a defense, you've got to check your personnel and go, okay, you know, this is this is a backup quarterback lining up here. It's something we need to keep our eyes on and, and can pull your eyes away from it. It's, it's kind of why they, I think they had a lot of success, you know, running the power with DJ Dallas out of the Wildcats. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue to really evolve those changes and, and how they look to use him, you know, kind of in that quarterback, pull your eyes away type method. Yeah, and that that does lead into kind of our next topic as far as what we're seeing with players developing and what we're seeing with players that are changing. But I, I think it was a good game overall as far as the – uh, kickoff to the ACC-SEC rivalry. The problem is it was kind of a – it was good for the wrong reasons, if that makes any sense, because both teams didn't – were not very impressive on the field. Uh, uh, anyway, what's our next – our next t- topic is players you're keeping an eye on. So, Artem, I'm going to let you start off. What what teams were you keeping an eye on uh, this year? It can be Heisman candidates. It can be anybody you're just interested in. I got a couple. I'm going to go through them quick. I got a couple of A&M players I'm looking at. Actually, three of them. Um, one is Isaiah Spiller. He's a true freshman. Picked up 20 pounds in the offseason. Potentially backup running back. Um We'll see how he performs, especially in this this next game. You know, how much Jimbo in the past has shared a lot of carries, so will he give a lot of carries to Deshaun Corbin, or will it be between three or four running backs like he did most of his career? Uh, DeMarvin Leal is a defensive end, so we desperately need a good pass rush, and he was a five-star coming out. Uh, He's in the two deep. And then we have a freshman starting at right guard in Kenyon Green, so apparently that guy's passed everybody else on the depth chart depth chart even though we have you know seniors on campus that have been in the program for a long time those guys are all kind of standout players and they'll potentially shine in this texas state game and hopefully be a sign of things to come and how good they are as far as other teams i'm looking at blake barnett from usf which we'll talk about a little bit later but you know he transferred two or three times he's got a kid and this is his senior year. It's really the time for him to show something to the scouts and uh, hopefully for him get drafted. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do because he's shown flashes of something good in the past. Um, and then the the Oregon quarterback. Oh, my gosh, I forgot his Justin name. Justin Herbert. Yeah, Herbert. You know, he stayed an extra year as a guy who could have gone top ten. Uh, mostly keeping an eye on him just so he doesn't get injured, hopefully, and then hopefully doesn't let his stock drop. Um, I hope he advances and kind of shows that maturity and is a, a good story for college football of a guy staying back and potentially, you know, bring Oregon some some fame from the years before. That's my five. Dang, that's a whole five. Uh, I mean, Andrew, do you have uh, that many that you're looking forward to seeing this year? 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys that are always fun to watch. The Georgia Tech guy that I'm really excited to watch is a freshman wide receiver, Amarine Brown, a kid out of Tampa, Florida. Uh, enrolled early in the spring, has turned heads both in spring ball and in fall camp, is, and has earned kind of the starting role in the slot for the Yellow Jackets. He's a 10-4, 100-meter guy out of high school, which means he can absolutely fly. So it'll be really fascinating to see how the Jackets try to get the ball in his hands to really utilize Two other guys that I'm really excited to look at, and this goes back to my absolutely unabashed love for option football, and that's Kelvin Hopkins Jr. and Malcolm Perry, the quarterbacks in Army and Navy, respectively. Hopkins last year in Army was was really fun to watch. He, he actually threw the ball pretty well. He threw for over 1,000 yards, six touchdowns, actually attempted 93 total passes, which that's a lot of passes for Army. So to be interesting to see what Brent Davis and Jeff Munkin really try to do with him is he's had another year in the system. He's had some more experience. And then with Navy, you know, Kenny's got to try to get them back to what they were. Perry's an interesting player because he's probably the best athlete they have on offense. And so they play him a quarterback to get the ball in his hands. But it'll be interesting to see if they try to shuffle him out and let him play a little slot back like he did last year as well. It'll be interesting to see because I think expectations I know that for Navy expectations are not exactly high but it would be good to see them get back into the level they were before and obviously with Army people are talking about a possibility of a season where they could go undefeated the entire year uh, if they can get over Michigan which would be a lot to ask but that I mean it's not impossible um all right guys well we talked about the team the players you're keeping an eye on for the general play of now it's time to pick your targets for the fish smithson award for those who don't know the fish smithson fish smithson award is our award our is our players that we highlight for having fantastic names and we keep an eye on them as as the year progresses to see who performs the best out of the guys that we pick so, Andrew, I'm going to start with you. We went through the list earlier today. Who did you choose as the guy that you're going to highlight this year? I'm actually going to look at two guys, and it's going to be pretty easy because they're both offensive linemen at Auburn. One of them is Prince Tega Winoko, and the other one is his offensive line teammate, Brodarius Ham. And so that's really what I'm going to look at this year is spend some more time watching Auburn on offense, see how these guys play, how they can pave the way for the running game or protect Bo Nix. Because, I mean, when you got two guys with awesome names on the same offensive line, I mean, that, that in and of itself is fantastic. Well, it's also a bold pick because, again, we've talked about this on and off every year. We don't know what the hell we're going to get out of Auburn. So if that offense yeah. really performs – it could be because those guys are really showing off and doing the best. And I love me some Brodarius Ham, that's for sure. I mean, I do love Ham. So, Artem, who are you picking as your part, as your uh, Smith session? I'm, I really got to work better pronouncing that. Fish Smithson candidate. Artem. Yeah, I was on mute. Um, both of my players are out of Kentucky, which is funny because Andrew named a bunch of players out of Auburn. So I got Kavosi Smoke. He's the backup running back uh, for Kentucky. And uh, we'll see what he can do after Benny Snell's gone. He's supposedly the backup running back. And then the 
middle linebacker on the Kentucky defense is a dude named Cash Daniel. He's a senior this year, so it's time to cash in on that season. Oh. Look at Artem over here with the puns. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> my my selection are Faave Faave, who is a linebacker at Washington State University. And I don't think he got a lot of play last year, but he did get two and a half sacks. So I think he produced pretty well. And I'll be interested to see what kind of playing time he gets. And then my second candidate is Cedric Laka Alaka out of San Diego State, who is also a linebacker. Um, He didn't perform, he didn't play a lot, but he had four solo tackles last year. And we'll see, maybe he gets more on the field time. I'm I'm curious to see how they all play out. And uh, with that, we move on to our final segment of our podcast, the matchup predictions. Well, we had planned on doing this cast last week. We were going to predict Miami versus UF. But uh, as it turns out, uh, that game we has already been played. So everyone except Artem picked Miami. Didn't quite plan out that way. So Artem, you start off the season 1-0. Congratulations. S-E-C. S-E-C. It just, it just means sore if you're another team. All right. Uh, so this week we're going to start off with the game that could define Brian Kelly's career, UCLA at Cincy. Artem, you've been kind of rooting against Brian Kelly for a while now, it seems like anyway. Uh, Who do you got in this matchup between UCLA and Cincinnati? You know, I was leaning towards Cincinnati heavily. Then I looked at the last five games, I didn't realize that UCLA actually took Stanford to 49-42 as the last season game. I'm still going to go ahead and say Cincinnati on this one. Um, I'm just not a huge fan of Chip Kelly. He hasn't shown us anything that is consistent. He's consistently been playing a freshman quarterback, and that has not worked out for them. Although he's gained a lot of experience, I just don't think it's going to be enough against a good Cincinnati team in Cincinnati. I'm going to go with Cincinnati over UCLA. Okay. Andrew, uh, you, on the other hand, are much more of a Brian Kelly fan. Do you – is that going to tend shade your choices in this matchup? Logan, you're muted. Shut up. Logan, did Logan die? Shut up. <laughs> Stop making me look like an idiot. Uh, Andrew, you are much more of a Brian Kelly fan. Who are you picking in this matchup? So – Brian Kelly is the head coach at Notre Dame. Chip Kelly is the head coach at UCLA. God damn it. Now you're really making me look like an idiot. (laughs) I am going to pick Cincinnati. I think that Luke Fickle has done a great job at building Cincinnati into a really solid program. They won 11 games last year. They returned a lot of guys offensively from a pretty good offense and a lot of guys defensively from a pretty good defense. You know, and they, they beat UCLA last year at UCLA. So now UCLA's got to travel across the country two time zones to play in Cincinnati. I have no idea how hard it is to play at their stadium, but, you know, in Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati. But, yeah, I think, I think you 
you know, Desmond Ritter, the quarterback is back, who had a really good seat, threw for 2,400 yards, you know, ran the ball well. Uh, I think Cincinnati's going to win it, and I think if Cincinnati wins big, Chip Kelly may get left at the airport. That's a scary thought for Chip Kelly, uh, but yeah, I think... But if you are a Cincinnati fan, though, tickets are as low as $39, which probably they're not that expensive usually, but UCLA is coming to town, they're going to pack that stadium in. Are they really, though? That's a long way to go for people in Los Angeles that don't care about football. I think he's talking about the Cincinnati fans. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was say, like, wait a minute. No. Like it's not, a ch- for, not for a program that doesn't make a bowl game. I mean, honestly, that's a cheap ticket for what should pan out to be a very good game. Uh, we'll see. Um, Andrew, next up on the list, the Holy War, Utah versus BYU. Utah's kind of owned the matchup the past few years. Uh, BYU has struggled in recruiting as of recent, but they're trying to make a comeback. Do you expect Utah to struggle in this matchup? I don't think so. And I think BYU is always going to struggle in recruiting just because, you know, they're BYU. But we expect Utah to be a team to challenge for the upper echelons of the Pac-12 this year. I mean, it's a team that I think one or two of us picked to win the South. And so I think that they're going to be able to handle this game pretty easily. You know, they've won eight straight, and they've won – Lord, and I'm looking at their briefs since 1992. BYU's only won seven times. So, I mean, this is very much a dominated by Utah game, and I think they're just going to keep it going. Uh, you know, it's – BYU's kind of been on a weird wonkiness recently, and I just I don't think this is gonna they're gonna be able to pull themselves out of it. Because yeah, they only went seven and six last year, and they may struggle. I mean, Satake may, you know, he may have some issues if he doesn't you know, doesn't start to turn it around. Um, I mean, it's a. It's a tough scenario for them, but I'm, it's hard to see any big expectations coming out of that, given that you have to be Mormon to play at BYU. So you don't have to be Mormon. You have to be Mormon to be the head coach. Um, but you do have to abide by their extremely strict honor code. And I know that that's one of the places that they struggle with recruiting is getting guys that are willing to come in to deal with the honor code. Interesting. I did not know this. Huh. Now, it's highly recommended that you be Mormon if you're at BYU, but I do not believe it's required. True story. Yeah, and it's really not that tough to follow an honor code. You would you just not go out and no, no, party no, 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 and no. shit. No, like B, but the thing about it is BYU's honor code is significantly stricter than anything you'll see at any other university. As well as, from what I understand, there's somewhat of a culture of snitching on people that break the honor code. So, Also, you say that, but Georgia's in the running for the Fulmer Cup every year. So, I mean, clearly some teams struggle with it more than others. If you're a snitch at BYU, do you still get stitches? I don't think so. I think the church rewards you. With stitches? With multiple wives. Is what I've been doing. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. It's, it's good reason, I guess. So I mean, I'm, I'm kind of happy with the one wife. I don't know if I can handle more than one. 
<laughs> Artem, we've kind of right. derailed. Do you want to tell us about the matchup? Yeah, 100th game of the Holy War rivalry. It's being played at BYU. Um, we got a little bit of a question mark at quarterback and middle linebacker. Outside of that, you know, Tyson Williams is back. I think this game is at BYU. These fans are going to be excited. It's a rivalry. Last year it was an eight-point game, and that was a bad BYU team. I think this year they have a lot more seniors, a lot more depth. And even though I'm rooting for Utah this season, I think BYU is going to win this game. Their fans are going to dominate it. And I think Utah makes one mistake at the end, and that kind of turns it. I do think it's within a touchdown, though. Wow, so you're really picking BYU in this matchup, even though Utah is number 14 in the nation. Utah is like the Texas of that area, and BYU is like the Aggies. Oh, I thought you were going to say they're like the Maryland of that area. That would have been funny. (laughs) But, yeah. You got to go with your heart. I see how it is. All right. Next up, uh, okay, Artem, another game that's going to be pretty close to your heart. Colorado State versus Colorado. This was not Rocky Mountain Showdown. <laughs> this was not a close matchup last year, even though for some reason we thought it was. I loved Andrew. What was it? We were like, it was pretty close last year, and then Artem pulled up the <laughs> stats, and we Artem were like, like, yeah, you mean forty-five to thirteen? <laughs> um. Artem, I think you've got some ties to Colorado State. Do you expect them to do well in this matchup uh, this year? Uh, no. No, I don't. It's unfortunate to say. I'm, I think this is the first time I'm going to pick against Colorado State in the matchup. I think last season I picked Colorado State in every matchup. But this year, this game, they're going to lose. It's in Denver. It's for $28. The What's the Denver team? Uh, Broncos. Yeah, the Broncos. They're not playing yet. Everybody's going to go to this game because they're bored. And there's a lot of breweries. So they're probably going to drink a bunch of beer, go to this game, and watch Colorado State get probably destroyed uh, because they Colorado brought in a defensive coach. And uh, Colorado State really isn't in a place where they've kind of figured it out. This game, I think, will be kind of the tipping point for them. Their quarterback will play a little bit, kind of figure out what he's doing, but they're going to lose. Not excited. Probably won't watch. Maybe we'll watch later anyway. Yeah, Andrew, you seem more excited about this matchup than Artem, but uh, do you have anything to add, really? No. Mike McIntyre in his six years at Colorado only lost to Colorado State once, and he only had one winning season at Colorado. So I don't know if that kind of sets the stage for how lopsided this rivalry is. Colorado's won four straight. Uh, they have 66 wins in the series. It's been dominated by Colorado recently, and I think Colorado will probably win this one again. You know, you feel for Colorado State. Mike Bobo struggled with some health issues. You know, took some time off, hoping he gets better. But he's just had a rough tenure at Colorado State. They kind of had one or two good years and just hasn't been able to really build on that. And with Mel Tucker, his first year at Colorado, and the guys that he's brought in, I just I don't think this game's going to be very close. I think the Buffalo are going to win it. All right. Well, and with that in mind, let's move on to a game where I feel like a lot of people are expecting it to be a blowout, 
but are also disrespecting Memphis by a lot. So you got Ole Miss at Memphis. Uh, Ole Miss is a team that's kind of dropped down a lot, but is still in the SEC. Uh, so a lot of people think very highly of them. Against a Memphis team coming out of the American Conference that won 11 games last year, if I remember correctly, uh, did very well for themselves. Uh, I'm kind of shocked that Ole Miss is getting five in this game. Andrew, are you with me on this one, or do you think that this is a reasonable expectation out of Ole Miss? So this is an interesting game. It's it's a pretty commonly played robbery. It looks like it's been played over 60 times, but I just want to look at the last three times this season has been played, where the last two Ole Miss wins in this rivalry have technically been vacated. Wait, 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 wait. How does that work? What, what are you talking about? So there's a 2014 game that Ole Miss won 24-3 that has been vacated. Memphis won 37-24 the next year in 2015. And then in 2016, Ole Miss won... 48 to 28 in a game that was later vacated. Yeah, it's because of their prostitution cheating scandal. Yeah, it was all the Hugh Freeze stuff. <laughs> but they were two years apart from each other. Like, oh. Yeah, Memphis, Memphis won in 2015. Oh. So that game doesn't get vacated because Memphis won. Oh, okay. Now I get it. All right. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think this is this is a fascinating game because the two schools are really close together. It's not very far from Memphis to Oxford, so it'll definitely be a game that really kind of packs out the crowd. You know, it'll be really fascinating. Especially because we don't really know what we're going. This game is in Memphis as well. So, yeah, you definitely think the Memphis fans will, will turn out because they always feel disrespected by all this and disrespect all of that. Yeah, I think, I think Memphis definitely has a chance to win this game, and they definitely should be the favorite because Mike Norvell's done a great job at keeping the momentum going that Justin Fuente built in that program. So are you picking Memphis then in this matchup? Yes. All right. Well, Artem, even though I hate Memphis, <laughs> why do you hate Memphis? What do you got against the basketball Memphis? Thing. Oh, okay. Fine. All right. You and your Derek Rose hate, uh, Artem, <laughs> you're more of an sec fan. So tell us what, you, what your thoughts are on, Ole Miss versus Memphis. I think it's going to take Memphis quite a bit of time to find what they have at running back with uh, Pollard and uh, Henderson gone. At the same time, Ole Miss doesn't really know what they have a quarterback. They have Matt Corral and two freshmen right out of high school. Uh, they got a bunch of transfers on their roster. You know, as a as a Memphis fan, I'm excited looking at this because I'm going to say I'm going to all-out blitz this guy every single time, not give him any time to do anything because hopefully he doesn't have enough chemistry with his wide receivers. As an Ole Miss fan, I'm like, we're the SEC. We're going to crush Memphis at their house and finally get a win that's not vacated. (laughs) I'm going to go with Ole Miss on this one. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to look like Memphis is going to win it, but an injury or two is going to take him out of it and the uncertainty at running back. If they still had their duo from last year, this would be a for sure Memphis. But I'm going to go with Ole Miss. Fair enough. All right, speaking of another kind of rivalry built on disrespect, South Carolina versus UNC. This is an interesting one. It's another one of those 
SEC-ACC rivalries that we were talking about earlier. UNC, which has traditionally been good at recruiting but shot themselves so thoroughly in the foot last year with injuries. They also have a new quote-unquote coach in Mac Brown, I guess a returning returning coach in Mac Brown. South Carolina, on the other hand, uh, is probably a dark horse in the East. Uh, I think a lot of people are kind of looking at them and expecting their talent pool to kind of drive them. But this is a matchup that has traditionally been owned by UNC. So, Artem, I'm going to turn it over to you. Who do you think in the, is uh, going to take the win in this matchup? I think it's going to be South Carolina. I think Wilmot's champ is on the hot seat, and he knows it. This is a relatively easy win for him because Mac Brown's been out of the game for a little bit. He does have a good coaching staff, but I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be an away game. Uh, for South Carolina, but I think they're going to come in and win it. They got a quarterback who's got to prove himself, a coach that's got to prove himself, and the team that's been beaten up by the SEC. So they're going to come out with something to prove. Whereas North Carolina is coming out, still figuring out what it is, what the feel of the program is going to be, and Mad Brown's still trying to set the. This is what their program will be. Uh, unfortunately for him, I think this would be a loss at home. Okay, Andrew, I know you've got a lot more ties to the UNC program that uh, than we're technically allowed to talk about. How how do you feel about this matchup? So I didn't realize that we thought South Carolina was a dark horse in the East because I definitely don't think they're a dark horse. Or if they're a dark horse, they're way back in the dark finding Christmas presents. I mean, they're about as dark as you can get considering... I mean, they're not Vandy, so we'll give them a little credit, but... I mean, they're more of a dark horse. It's either U.S. It's either Georgia or Florida, and then the dark horse is South Carolina. Yeah, I guess. The game's also being played in Charlotte, um, so that'll be kind of interesting. Kind of a midway-ish point between those two schools. It's actually an old ACC rivalry. South Carolina and North Carolina being founding members of the ACC. South Carolina leaving in 1971. Uh, since then. The, the rivalry has been pretty dominated by South Carolina. They really haven't played much recently. You know, they played a little bit 1988 through 1997, 2013, 2015. So they really don't play as often as they used to. So the, the one-sided rivalry being North Carolina wins is just because early on there was a lot of North Carolina wins. It's also really fascinating when I look at comparing the two programs that North Carolina actually has done better historically in just about every category except Heisman Trophy winners. So that's really kind of fascinating because, you know, everyone kind of thinks of South Carolina, but a lot of people don't realize, like, the absolute dog shit South Carolina before Lou Holtz got there. So, but I, I think North Carolina's got a chance in this game. I think... Injuries have killed them the last few years, but there is a good bit of talent on that roster. I think the running backs are really going to do a lot. Michael Carter and the Williamses are really going to help, you know, be what can turn this game for UNC. They're going to start a true freshman in Sam Howell at quarterback from Monroe, North Carolina, which Lee was just up the road from Charlotte. So I'm sure he'll have a ton of family and friends in the game. And I'm really excited about what Phil Longo can do you know we saw him last year when South Carolina beat Ole Miss so it'll be interesting to see what South Carolina carries over on that defensively versus what Longo is trying to do at UNC 
but yeah, I think I think North Carolina's got a chance to win this game and really, really surprise people. And again, just turn that hot seat on Will Muschamp just a little bit higher. Wow. Okay. Well, we got diverging choices here then. It'll be interesting to see. This is, like you said, an old rivalry that goes way back, and it'll be – I think this will be one of the more fun games of the weekend. Next up, UVA at Pitt as one of the highlights on the SACC network. UVA is looking to take the win in the Coastal, but Pitt is a challenger. Am I allowed to call them a dark horse, Andrew? I mean, I definitely hate Pitt, but sure. <laughs> All right. Well, then in that case, if Pitt wins this game, they could potentially challenge in the Coastal. I mean, it's the Coastal. Anybody could challenge in the Coastal. This is a really good Coastal matchup to start off the year, and we'll see what happens. Will Pitt, in fact, eat shit? Will UVA fall flat on their face? We we don't know these things, but Andrew's going to do his best to predict them. Andrew, who you got in this matchup? I think the game's really going to depend on what Bryce Perkins of Virginia is able to do. If Robert and I is able to kind of run his whole offense and really take advantage of what Perkins can do, both with his arm and with his feet, I think it's going to be a very long day for Pitt, they lost their best pass rusher recently to injury. The offense is in a heavy retool. Kenny Pickett's back. Maurice French is back. But all their running backs are gone. They've lost four out of five offensive linemen. Mark Whipple is the new offensive coordinator coming over from UMass to replace Sean Watson. And I, from what I've seen from Pitt fans, they're excited. They think he's going to get a better use of the talent. But to me, Virginia's just got more answers on offense than Pitt does, and I think that's what it's going to be. I think Bryce Perkins is going to be able to run that pistol option spread offense that Taysom Hill made famous at BYU, and I just don't think Pitt's going to be able to stop them defensively well enough as well as score enough points to beat them. I think this is UVA wins this game, and I think they kind of put a stake in the ground saying, hey, we're, we're here to compete for the Coastal this year. All right, Artem, as someone who is not as familiar with the – ACC traditions and the chaos that the Coastal and the Hurricane brings. Uh, do you have any strong opinions on this matchup one way or the other? One very strong opinion. Go Cavaliers. Cool. Thanks for that. All right, next up, another matchup that you probably have a strong feelings on that hits a little closer to home. Houston at Oklahoma. Obviously, Oklahoma came off of the uh, playoff season last year, uh, they struggled, didn't quite pull out. To... Artem, just talk about Pitt. Uh, Artem, just talk about Houston, Oklahoma. Okay. I want to pick Houston for this one. It's gonna be tough. You know, they have Oklahoma has a new defensive coordinator who's gonna supposedly make their defense good, and they've got Jalen Hurts. That dude's thighs are going to cause some concussions this year to people who try to tackle him. So I'm not going to pick against him in this matchup. Jalen Hurts over Houston. So should we be worried about Jalen Hurts, though? Because Jalen Hurts can't really throw the ball. Um, I mean, well, that was my critique always, was that Jalen Hurts can't really throw the ball. But people See, seem... Oklahoma doesn't really run routes. They're precise. They just kind of like throw the ball up, and then a wide receiver who's already got a lot of separation will go and get it wherever the ball is. So it really doesn't matter. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. So because of the chaos that the offense generates, he will like thrive in that idea of an offense. But and you're the not general lack of talent on the defenses they play in the Big Twelve. Yeah. Uh, but you're not picking him as a Heisman candidate or anything. Nah, nah. Okay. I don't think he'll put up enough numbers for that. It'll be interesting to see for sure, but uh, I, I'm glad we're not throwing that out there so far. Andrew, who do you got in this matchup? I think it's Oklahoma, and I'm really excited to see what Alex Grinch can do with that defense. They get nine starters back, and Grinch is a really, really well-respected name in coaching circles. He's definitely a defensive coordinator on the rise, so it'll be really fun to see what he's able to do with all of that talent at Oklahoma. He was a guy who was able to turn the defense at Washington State into serviceable, and we kind of saw what you know an underdog team with a Mike Leach offense and a decent defense was able to do. So it'll be fascinating to see what a team as explosive offensively as Oklahoma is able to do with a defense that is, I, you know, can really only go up from where they were last year because their defense last year was terrible. 101st in scoring, 130th in passing, which is dead last, by the way and then 114th in total defense. I mean, they were not good defensively last year. And so Grinch will come in and really try to transition that to, to be better, to play better, because there's a lot to replace in the offense. So it may be where the defense has to carry the offense for a couple of weeks. As Jalen Hurts gets his feet underneath him, as some of the young wide receivers kind of get their, you know, their routes and their familiarity with Hurts set in. But, yeah, I, I think Oklahoma's going. I think it's going to be really high scoring because these are two teams that really like to – especially with Dana Holgerson getting the, the Houston job and Derek King, the quarterback there being, I mean, low-key one of the best players in the country that no one's really talking about. Yeah, but I don't know that, I don't know that it's anything's going to change all that much, but we'll see. Uh, all right. With this in mind, we're moving on to our personal picks. We start off with you, Andrew. I believe you've got a battle of the nerds for us. Get Nerd Bowl! Um, I am talking about the Northwestern Wildcats traveling to the farm to play the Stanford Cardinal. This will be a really exciting game. Northwestern's having to replace Clayton Thorson, their do-everything quarterback. So, and it's looking like Hunter Johnson, the Clemson transfer, kind of has the inside track to that. And then Stanford this year, it's going to be really fascinating to see kind of which Stanford we get. You know, we're expecting Stanford to get back to, you know, the good Stanford that we're used to. You know, play good defense, run the ball, and kind of control the clock. Whereas last year they really struggled in a lot of places, especially after Bryce Love got hurt. You know, KJ Costello is really settled in at quarterback, which is good. So they don't have a lot of questions there. But they do have a lot of questions pretty much across the rest of the offense. Bryce Love is gone. JJ Osega Whiteside is gone. So they'll be interesting to see who they kind of fill in in those places. Uh, in terms of Northwestern, you know, Fitzgerald is probably one of the best fits in terms of a coach to a school. You know, he played there. He was on their really good Rose Bowl team, you know, which doesn't happen a lot of Northwestern. You know, Isaiah Bowser is going to kind of carry the ball, and they've got a bunch of wide receivers back. So it'll be interesting to see what Hunter Johnson, who was a five-star coming out of high school, is kind of able to inject into that offense at Northwestern. Uh, in terms of who wins, I think it's Stanford. I think just the travel, and, and I think Stanford's just a more talented team. Fair enough. And Artem, I think 
who do you have that you're looking at for your personal matchup this year or week? Looking at uh, Boise State versus Florida State, although the game is being played in Florida and we'll probably have more Florida fans there than Boise State fans, you know, it's gonna be a it's a good gonna be a good game. I feel like it's gonna be closer than even the five point difference that they have it at for Florida State. I think Boise State is gonna win this one, and they will do so by controlling the game and having less turnovers. Florida State didn't really show us anything last year that would kind of say they could win games. Even the the Boise or uh, Boston College game, they won by one point last year. Uh, they really didn't have in the books until the very last what minute, minute and a half, I believe. It was the last drive that finished it off. So I, I think Florida State still got something to prove to us uh, to show that they can be a powerhouse in the ACC again. Uh, they have an identity established. While Boise State, it's pretty well known, and they can control the clock. Um, their running game, I think, is going to – be the temp- tipping point in this game. Uh, they play. They will play team football, whereas Florida State has a lot of weaknesses on the offensive line. They got to take care of, and uh, quite a bit of people to replace on the defensive side as well. Okay, it'll be interesting to see the. I think that'll be probably another fun matchup to watch this weekend. My personal pick is probably not going to be a exciting matchup, but I've got Liberty and Syracuse. I. It's a 18-point go, going in the direction of Syracuse. I do think Syracuse will win, but I would say watch Liberty to cover the spread. We'll see what happens. Uh, they should keep it close enough to beat the spread, at least. Uh, and I think while we're on the topic of beating the spread, before we get to our final game, Andrew, do you want to make a prediction about Georgia Tech beating the spread right now? Um. Like I said, I just want everyone to play and have a fun game and not get hurt and value and treasure the friendships made along the way. I think Tech covers. To be honest with you, 37 is a lot of points. And with Clemson's propensity to empty the bench as they get up, I think there will be some opportunities for Tech to – I don't know if Tech will ever actually be in the game, but I could see it being much like last season where – I think the final score was 42-21, to 21, but Tech was never really in the game, but only lost by 21 points. All right, and with that done, let's move on to our final matchup, the matchup of the week, uh, Oregon and Auburn. So Oregon's looking to reestablish their dominance of the Pac-12. Auburn's a team that we don't know a whole lot about, uh, they run similar styles of offense, although Oregon's is certainly much higher tempo. And Auburn's got a fun-looking defense this year. And, of course, are coming out of the SEC looking to prove that that is a dominant conference as always. Artem, who do you got in this matchup? Oh, I guess you can't hear me. I'm showing the O with my hands. It's going to be Oregon in this one. Uh, they played really well against a really good defensive Michigan State team last season and beat them 7-6 to six in a bowl game. Uh, Auburn is kind of trying to figure out they got a, the coach on the hot seat and a true freshman quarterback uh, at the home. I, I just don't think they're going to have what it takes to beat a team like Oregon where they got a bunch of talent back and Herbert at the home. I, I think he's going to lead them to a victory in this one. 
All right, Andrew, who do you got in this matchup? Yeah, I think this is a statement game for both teams. Oregon probably wants to come out, beat the SEC on national television, and kind of announce themselves, hey, with Oregon you're used to, we're going to compete for the Pac-12 and, and maybe a seat at the playoff table. And then with Auburn, you've already kind of hit on it. You know, They want to come out and say, hey, Gus Malzahn's still a good coach. Hey, we can still win these big games and kind of make that statement. So I'm really excited. It's two high-flying tempo offenses that are just a lot of fun to watch. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I'm going to go with the Ducks just because I think the fact that, hey, A, they returned 12 starters on offense, which you, you can only have 11, so I'm still trying to figure that one out. So if they play with 12 guys on offense, they will definitely win. But I just think that, to me, the, the answers to the questions from Oregon are better than the answers to the questions. That's fair. And I have more, and I have more faith in, you know, senior Justin Herbert than I do in true freshman Bo Nix. Yeah, that's fair. I'm still trying to figure out why Auburn is ranked so high, but I thought the same thing about Florida, and they still won their matchup, although they looked like crap doing it. I can't – I do not understand these preseason rankings. I honestly, I don't put any stock in any rankings before, like, October. Artem, Artem, you're our heat check guy. You know the most about where these teams kind of start out. What What do you think about the preseason rankings as far as they go? I'm puzzled at the Auburn ranking, and Oregon I think is just about right. They're they're kind of on the cusp, like like Andrew mentioned. Auburn, it, that's just a name recognition thing, and the fact that they're in the SEC, I don't think they deserve to be ranked 16. How, how about the Florida ranking? Yeah, I think that's just for hype. They do not look like a team that should be ranked as high as they are. Maybe in the twenties would be nice. Are we think are we thinking conspiracy theories here? Are they just hyping up certain teams because they get better matchups? Well, I think I, I think what they're doing is by ranking these teams high, it becomes a vicious cycle of well, you know, Auburn was ranked tenth when X Y Z beat them, so X Y Z is obviously better because Auburn was ranked tenth then. You know, I mean, it's it's self-perpetrating to make shit look better. Fair point. All right. Well, that's all we got for this week. Uh, tune in next week to see what the results of week one are and look forward to this uh, week two as the real games start getting played. Thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. And Andrew and Artem, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, to everyone out there, I hope everything goes well for you and have a good rest of your week. Good night, everybody.